Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're going to spend most of the hour today talking with two faith leaders here in Metro Detroit about Pope Francis's recent visit to Iraq and what it means for Catholics, Chaldeans, and Shia Muslims here in Metro Detroit. Stay tuned. You are not going to want to miss that conversation. But first, I want to welcome Senator Gary Peters back to the program to talk about the latest in Washington and about a new report from the nonpartisan Center for Effective Lawmaking, which ranks him the most effective senator in the 116th Congress. Senator Peters, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, Stephen, always a pleasure to be with you. And congratulations on uh, being named uh, the most effective senator. Uh, the, the, the criteria for this really is about people who are able to go beyond, I guess, their, their own partisan concerns to try to get things passed with the help of the opposition. Uh, that's something that I know you have uh, made a centerpiece of, of your, your tenure in the Senate there. Well, yeah, it is in the fact that uh, we have to get things done, and I believe that uh, the best solutions are always those that you can bring people together and uh, find common ground to get things done. And if we can do that on a bipartisan basis, uh, that is the way we should should do it. Of course, uh, the last uh, two years I served uh, in the minority mm-hmm. in the United States Senate, so the, the way to get things passed, you definitely have to work uh, with the majority. That's just the way the uh, legislative process uh, works. And uh, and uh, actually, the, the Senator... Uh, call that out. The center, as you know, is a, is a collaboration between the University of Virginia and Vanderbilt University. They have uh, 15 metrics that you go through, and basically it assesses the bills that you introduce uh, an author and uh, whether you get them out of committee to the Senate floor and signed into law. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have had more bills signed into law than any Democrat or Republican over the last two years. And they uh, did mention the, uh, the way I uh, did that was I uh, was very successful in coalition uh, building and bringing uh, folks uh, together. And uh, in fact, uh, they've been uh, looking at data for over 50 years. I'm the first minority member to uh, top the list uh, in, in the entire time they've been hmm. uh, looking at Congress. Yeah, I mean, one of the ironies, of course, is that uh, during the re-election uh, campaign last year, Republicans pretty much try to label you as ineffective and uninterested in the job. This is a, a real contrast to, uh, to that description. Um, uh, well, well, facts uh, often get in the way of uh, campaign ads. <laughs> yeah, no, that, <laughs> that does happen. Uh, so, so we've been talking a lot about this federal aid package, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that was signed into law last week and the ways it addresses the pandemic, the economic downturn, and uh, things like childhood poverty. But what are some of the things that were not in the package that you think Congress needs to go back and revisit in the coming weeks and months? Well, I think we, as we're dealing with the the, the pandemic and the aftermath of the, the pandemic, we have to be continually focused on the, the gaps that were quite uh, clear uh, that came uh, to light, uh, certainly when it came to communities uh, of color and vulnerable communities that were hit uh, in a disproportionate uh, Away, We saw that uh, in the city of Detroit, for example, where the African-American community uh, experienced uh, death rates far in excess of uh, any other area uh, in uh, in the state uh, relative to the state's uh, population. 
And so those are health disparities that need to be addressed. They're not going to go away after the pandemic. Certainly this legislation does address some of that uh, over the next year or two and, and some aspects longer than that. But we have to be focused on understanding that we have to close those gaps. And that means uh, health care, uh, access to health care. It also means uh, broadband access, having access to the ability to, to get that uh, critical infrastructure in places that, that uh, need it. And things that I've been looking at uh, and will change within FEMA's response to a national crisis or a a natural disaster, uh, once again, it's uh, communities of color and other vulnerable communities that tend to have a disproportionate impact uh, when those disasters strike. And it's not just a pandemic. It's also uh, floods and uh, hurricanes or wildfires, whatever that disaster may be. And as uh, chair of Homeland Security Committee, and I oversee uh, FEMA, uh, we're working to make sure uh, policies and procedures change and make sure that uh, data is real time and that FEMA responds uh, accordingly uh, and make sure that they're dealing with uh, folks who have been impacted to the greatest extent and always prioritize that. So there there are a number of structural changes that need to take place, and we're going to have to keep working on it uh, as we go forward. Mm. Now, of course, in order to get those things passed, they got to pass in not only the House of Representatives, but also in the Senate. And that has been a challenge in part because of the way that the Senate works and the role that the filibuster plays in in the process there. Yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell warned against getting rid of the filibuster and said that it would result in kind of a scorched earth Senate that would screech to a halt. He, he said it would become like a hundred car pileup. I, I, I'm really curious to hear what your take is on the filibuster and whether you think it's time for Democrats to, to you know, pull that trigger and, and decide that uh, things can just happen by a majority vote in, in the upper chamber. Well, I, I think uh, the, the way to answer that is, first off, is that the American people expect us to, to get things done. I mean, it's a critically important for us over these uh, next uh, couple of years as we're emerging uh, out of the pandemic and the economic crisis uh, that it has put us in, uh, that we have to make sure that we show to the American people that we know how to govern first, uh, and two, how we can impact uh, their lives uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, that is our, our charge. And so we need to get that done. Uh, As I mentioned at the top of uh, the program here, if we can do that on a bipartisan basis, that'd be great. If we could bring people together and understand that we need to be focused on that, find common ground, uh, get it done. Uh, But that's uh, that's assuming uh, you have a good faith uh, partner that is acting in good faith and actually wants to uh, accomplish that. And and the only way to know that is uh, to see it in action. It's not about words. It's uh, it's about action. And uh, if we have Republicans on these big pieces of legislation that are necessary for our country, if they are not acting uh, in good faith, uh, then we have to reassess uh, the filibuster rule. The filibuster rule was put in place to to make sure that the minority party was heard, that they'd have a place at the table. But once again, that assumes that they're they're, they're doing it in in good faith. And certainly it raises questions. uh, Last with uh, Mitch McConnell, we know uh, how he he behaved with uh, Barack Obama as president, where Mm -hmm. he basically blocked every single thing the president tried to do. He did not act uh, in good faith. You look at this rescue plan that just passed. Uh, Here's here's a legislation critical to get us through the pandemic, legislation that has over 70 percent support with the American people. There are very few pieces of legislation that have that kind of support, broadly supported by Republican mayors, Republican governors, uh, other folks, other Republicans across the country. And yet it did not uh, get one vote from a House member or a Senate member of the Republican Party. Clearly, they were out of touch with uh, 
according to polls, a majority of Republicans who support uh, the bill. So that doesn't bode well for their willingness to, to work in good faith to, to deal with the problems. And so I think you know, folks are looking uh, uh, at uh, uh, if we keep the filibuster, keep the filibuster in its original form, which is if a party wants to slow something down, they have to go on the floor. They have to debate it. Right. They have to say very clearly why they're opposed to legislation and uh, command the floor, and American people can see a contrast between two sides of uh, of the issue. Well, the fear, of course, is that if if you do that, eventually the other party, the opposition, will get control. They'll have a majority, and then they'll be able to do the same. And the, you know, the consequences of that, I think, are something that. A lot of Democrats and and progressives might might be wise to 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 fear or at least to to stop and and think about changing changing that rule would fundamentally change the nature of the Senate and as you point out you know it relies the 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 chamber relies on good faith efforts of both parties the bad faith that Republicans are expressing now is somewhat tempered really by those by those rules would it would it just unleash chaos if they could do whatever they wanted to do with a bare majority if if they were to take uh, yeah it's two-sided coin there's no question Stephen about that and uh, we saw that uh, as uh, the filibuster was uh, you know eliminated for judicial appointments appointments, and the Republicans decided to do that for the uh, the Supreme Court and uh, it uh, can definitely mean that uh, elections always have consequences, uh, but they clearly will have uh, even bigger consequences uh, uh, if uh, if this rule is changed in the Senate. Okay. Uh, Senator Gary Peters, always great to have you with us, and congratulations again on uh, being named the most effective senator in the 116th Congress. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be with you as always. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, two local faith leaders are going to join me to talk about Pope Francis's recent historic visit to Iraq and what it means for Chaldean Catholics and Shia Muslims here in Metro Detroit. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.